good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers. We're continuing our study of the book of Numbers. We'll be in chapter 20, looking at verses 2 through 13 specifically. Now, just a little bit of background as we continue our study of the book of Numbers. About 2,000 years prior to the birth of Christ, so about 4,000 years ago from today, God called a man named Abram to leave his home and to live in the land of Canaan, the land to which God is now seeking to bring his people. Now, as you know the story, God renamed Abram Abraham and he promised him, I will give you this land of Canaan and I will give it to your offspring after you. Now, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons went down into Egypt with their families because of a great famine that was in the land of Canaan. And 500 years after Abraham was called, we now come to the people of Israel in the land of Egypt, calling out to the Lord to fulfill His promise that He made to Abraham that He would indeed give give them this promised land. And so we read of how Moses was born and how he was raised in the house of Pharaoh and that as he came to be a young adult, he saw that he was a Hebrew and he identified with the Hebrews and he sought to deliver the Hebrews by killing an Egyptian. And yet, for his sin, he fled from Egypt into the wilderness. But the Lord called him out. Called him to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. And so from that point, from the point of bringing God's people out of Egypt, into the land of Canaan. We've been following the people of Israel in the story of Moses. And they have come to the edge of the promised land. They've rejected it. And for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. And now we come to Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 2. It has now been 40 years that they have wandered in the wilderness. And again, God's people are in need of a deliverer. So hear now God's holy word. Now, there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, 
and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them He showed Himself holy. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us go to Him now in prayer. Father, we come to You now and we pray that You would guide us by Your Word and Your Spirit, that in Your light we may see light, and in Your truth that we might find freedom, and in Your will discover Your peace for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I think that we are all familiar with the phrase, those who do not know history are condemned to repeat it. As we look at our passage for this morning, we should get a sense that all of this is very familiar. We feel like we may have seen this event play out before. It's hard to believe, but we are more than halfway through the book of Numbers, and we have come to the end of the 40 years of wandering. The rest of the book of Numbers will address Israel's journey from the southern tip of Canaan around the eastern border to the edge of the Jordan River where they will finally make their entrance into the land of Canaan at Jericho. And as we come to the end of the wilderness wanderings, we are brought back to the very beginning of this journey. In Exodus 17, as Israel has just come out of Egypt, they haven't even made it to Mount Sinai, We read this. See if it sounds familiar. There was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so in response to this, the Lord commands Moses to take a staff, to strike the rock, and that water will flow forth for the people. This is how the journey began, and this is how the journey ends. And we have to wonder, has any progress been made with the people of God? 
Are they any different from the generation that came out of Egypt? Has the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years taught them nothing? Has the Lord's grace and provision made no impact on their lives? Has God's gracious law not changed their hearts? And if not, will this second generation also reject the promised land? And I think this is the same frustration that we experience A frustration that we have with the world around us. We look out at the culture and we see that people are making the exact same mistakes that have been made throughout the history of the world. We see the fabric of our society unraveling before our eyes and we seek to sound the warning to our culture and yet they are making the same mistakes and it seems to make no difference. Or we look at the church, we look at the history of the church, and we see the same mistakes made over and over again. It's no new thing to seek to be in step with the world's morality instead of standing with biblical morality. It's no new thing to play to the lowest common denominator to get as many people into the church as possible. It's no new thing to divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament. Throughout the history of the church, the gospel has been abandoned. But it's not just culture. It's not just institutions that repeat history's mistakes. For we see it in our own lives. We see it in the lives of our children. As parents, we say to our children, we warn them, don't make the same mistakes that I made in my life. We see our spouses continually going back to their old ways even after we thought that they had changed. And of course, we can look at our own personal lives and realize that after all these years of following the Lord, we are prone to fall back into our old habits of disbelief and rebellion. And as we reflect on all these human failures, we might be more inclined to another more cynical statement about history. That the only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. And if this is the case, if we learn nothing from history, are we condemned to repeat history's mistakes? Is there no way to move forward? Is there any way that God's people will actually make it home? Or will we just continue to wander around in the wilderness Forever. Well, the first thing that we see in our text is that if the Lord's people will make it home, it's not going to be because of their own ability. Rather, what we see is a desperately needy people. Look down at verse 2 of your text. We read there very simply, Now there was no water for the congregation. Now, this is a legitimate need, is it not? I don't think any one of us could fault the people of Israel for needing water. It's essential to life. It's not wrong for Israel to be thirsty. I think we could all put ourselves in their position. We could imagine the dry, cracked lips of a thirsty people. We can imagine the hoarse throats through which the complaints were made that they needed water. The reality is we are all a people who are desperately dependent upon the Lord to provide for all of our needs. 
He is the one who gives life and breath and everything. He is the one to whom we are taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We are needy and the Lord is full. We are weak, but He is strong. We are thirsty and He promises to be the wellspring of living water to us. You see, the problem with Israel in this text is not that they needed water. Rather, the problem is how they responded to their need. Instead of coming humbly to the Lord, they cry out in rebellion. Look at the second half of verse 2 and following what happens after they have this need or how they respond. It says, And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? That we should die here, both we and our cattle? They gather themselves together. They quarrel and they accuse. And it looks like a rebellion is beginning. They're aligning themselves with those who perished in the wilderness because of their rebellion. And so often, rebellion and accusation are the responses of a needy people. Instead of being humble by our need, we get angry at those we believe caused our need. We shift the blame away from ourselves and we point the finger at someone else. And we've been doing this from the very beginning. The very first sin, when Adam sinned against the Lord, he didn't repent when he saw that he had sinned. Rather, he said, the woman, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. It's not my fault. It's her fault. It's your fault that I sinned. I was framed. I had no choice. I have no fault in how I have gotten to this place in my life. And then we read in verse 5. And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink. Now, if I'm Moses at this point, I am about to lose it. Figs, vines, pomegranates. These are the very things that the spies brought out of the land of Canaan to show how abundant it was. Look, there are grapes, there are figs, there are pomegranates. Let's go in and the people say, no. And if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, why have I brought you to this place? This place? I brought you to a land flowing with milk and honey that had grapes so big you had to carry them on a pole between two men. There, over there in Canaan, there are the figs, there are the pomegranates that you could all want, but you wouldn't take them. These needy people are complaining that they do not have the very things that were so graciously offered to them. They are repeating history. They are complaining. They are shifting blame about their needs. If Israel is going to make it to the promised land, we see that it will not be according to their power to change. There will have to be another deliverer or the people 
will not make it home. You see, the congregation is not going to get this done. But maybe, maybe there is a special one among them. A leader who will have the power to deliver God's people from all their needs. In the midst of this rebellion, Moses and Aaron seek the face of the Lord. We should be used to this pattern by now because we are 20 chapters into the book of Numbers. We've seen it over and over again. The people rebel. Moses seeks the face of the Lord. The Lord commands Moses how to deal with the situation and Moses does exactly what the Lord says. The phrase, and Moses did as the Lord commanded, appears all throughout the book of Numbers. Moses is proven to be a faithful leader over and over again. And maybe Moses is the deliverer of God's people. But this pattern of obedience is broken at the waters of Meribah. In the tent of meeting, the Lord visits Moses and Aaron. He tells them to take the staff to gather the people and to tell or to speak to the rock. Then water will come forth from the rock. But the text does not say that Moses did as the Lord commanded. Rather, we read that Moses took the staff He gathered the people, but he failed to speak to the rock. Rather, he struck the rock. You see, Moses sought the instruction of the Lord, but he did not seek the heart of the Lord. Here we see that the Lord is merciful. He desires to pour forth water to meet the needs of his people, whether they deserve it or not. But Moses had seen the people rebel one too many times. History had repeated itself one too many times. Moses is well past a hundred years old at this point, And he must be thinking in his mind, I can't wait for another generation of you obstinate Israelites to die out to bring you into the land of Canaan. I can imagine Moses and Aaron gathering the people together. The sun setting over the mountains in the west, painting the desert in shades of red. And Moses climbs upon the rock and he looks down at the congregation, the people who had questioned his authority, the people who had grumbled and gathered against him. And he says to them, Hear now, you rebels! Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And he raises up his arm and he strikes the rock with the staff. You see, from where he stood, He cannot see the needs of the people. He has been called upon again to apply the healing balm of the Lord's provision. And instead, He accused the people. And He disobeyed the command of the Lord. Instead of serving the people, Moses made Himself both judge and deliverer. Judge in accusing them of being rebels and deliverer in believing that He was the one who was bringing water forth from the rock. Moses proved himself to be an insufficient deliverer. For he too, just like all the people of Israel, fell back into his former ways. As I mentioned in the introduction to the sermon, 
we learn at the beginning of Moses' adult life that he murdered an Egyptian who was harassing a Hebrew. You see, when he came to this situation, he saw that there needed to be something done, but he made himself judge of the Egyptian and he made himself savior to the Hebrews. And when he had saw his sin, he fled into the desert. And here we are again, still in the desert, still falling into the savior complex of judge and deliver history, repeating itself over again. In second Corinthians two, the apostle Paul asks concerning the leadership of God's people. Who is sufficient for these things? And the implied answer is no one. No one is sufficient for these things. For God alone is the judge. God alone dispenses mercy and punishment. Though we may think we know who deserves what, who deserves to be called rebels, and who should receive mercy. It is God alone who has the power and the right to judge and deliver. For He will have mercy on whom He will have mercy, and He will harden whom He will harden. No leader has ever proven himself worthy of this task. No human leader has ever shown himself able to bring God's people home. And so, the people are desperate. The leaders are insufficient, but their God is holy. Look at verse 13 of our text. It says, These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them He showed Himself holy. How is it that God is shown to be holy in this episode? It's a question that bothered me when I first read this text. This story seems to be a complete failure of God's people and God's leaders. It seems like God's plan just isn't going forward. But as I reflected on the passage, I realized this is the point. You see, God is shown to be holy And that He is the giver of mercy to a needy people. The people of Israel had a legitimate need. They were desperate for water. And abundant water is given to God's people. God's holiness is shown forth in that He meets the needs of a needy people. And oh, how God meets the needs of His people. Father-like He tends and cares for us. And He longs for His people to be gathered together under the shelter of His wing. The Lord calls to Israel and therefore calls to us, Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the Lord Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, the Lord is shown to be holy and that he provides for the needs of a desperate people. 
And He is also shown to be holy and that He proves Himself to be the righteous judge. You see, Moses did not follow the command of the Lord. He put himself in the place of judge and called the people rebels in the midst of his own rebellion. But the Lord alone is judge and he punishes Moses for his rebellion. For his sin, Moses was not allowed to enter the land of promise. And just as the light of a star is seen better in the darkness of nights, the holiness of the Lord shines forth ever brighter in the weakness of our leaders. You see, the Bible is painfully honest concerning the weakness of its heroes. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Aaron, Saul, David, Solomon, Peter, they're all sinners. They were all insufficient to give God's people what they truly needed. There was only one hero in whom we are told that we are to trust for our deliverance. For it is in Christ that we see the elements of mercy and judgment come together. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus was the rock that was struck in the desert. In 1 Corinthians 10.4, we read, They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. You see, it was through God's mercy that water was given to the people. And it was Christ, the rock, who bore the blows of Moses' rebellious actions. And so too is Jesus the rock we must trust for all our needs. For He is the rock from which the rivers of living water flows. And He is the rock that receives the blows of our rebellion against the Lord. We have to stop fooling ourselves that we will make any progress towards our heavenly home through our own power or through the leadership of any man except the man, Christ Jesus. So, is there any hope of moving forward? Will Israel ever make it into Canaan? Will history just keep repeating it? Or will we make it home? Well, as a people, we will continue to be needy. We will continue to need the Lord for all that we require. We will continue to fall back into old patterns of sin and brokenness. And while there is progress and while there is growth, and we should expect that we will grow and progress, we should also understand that we will continue to struggle against the flesh throughout our lives. And the leaders of the church will continue to prove themselves to be insufficient to the task of leading God's people. We have seen public scandals over and over again. There's no need to drag out a laundry list of all the leaders who have fallen from grace before our eyes. But even the best, most faithful ministers of God's church are but weak, insufficient servants. But we continually want to have this cult of personality. 
celebrity pastors that we fall upon, that we trust in, and we believe every single word that they say, and then we are completely crushed when they make a mistake in their lives because we hold up one man or one woman and say they are the source of truth. But as we read in 2 Corinthians of the leader of God's people, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Paul is saying that ministers hold the gospel of Christ as jars of common clay hold the treasure of gold and jewels. But why? Why treasures in jars of clay? Why needy people and insufficient leaders? Why do we continually play out the mistakes of the past? Why do we continually fall short? Well, Paul concludes that we hold these treasures in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, the power to save The power to deliver, the power to bring God's people home belongs to the Lord Jesus alone. So that when we make it home, each and every one of us will say, all the glory belongs to God alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. O God, You have sounded in our ears Your saving words. And so we pray that You would enlighten the souls of us sinners to the full understanding of what has been spoken. That we may be not only hearers of spiritual words, but also doers of good works following in faith a life of holiness and grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.